Here we go. Last week, for those of you who weren't here, last week we explored together the mission of God. Some of you were here to hear that message as we talked through uh, the idea that, that God is at work. Uh, Jesus is working in our world and through us. Anywhere that there's pain or suffering or injustice, anywhere there's struggle or grief or fear, that Jesus is working even now to bring renewal and new, new life. And that it's so important to him, so important to God is this plan to, bring, to make new what was broken, that he put on flesh and he came among us. Uh, he came himself to do it. And as we continue with this thought process leading all the way up to Easter, today we ask the question, what does the cross have to do with that plan? What does the cross have to do with all of this? Jesus goes there, doesn't he, right away in the Gospel reading that we just finished, that Matthew chapter 16 reading that we just read. Jesus goes there right away when he says, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and he will be killed and on the third day rise. This is not suitable for Peter. This doesn't quite work for him. And so he tries to avoid it. This will never happen to you on my watch, he says. As long as I'm around, this is not happening. You will never suffer any indignity like this one. And it's easy for us to critique or or criticize Peter's reaction here. Jesus certainly does. We can see there he, he was not pleased with it. But before we get too far down that road of, of critique and, and criticism, let's notice how we respond to the same idea. See, Peter wants a, a reputable leader, a powerful one. One he can feel good about following. That's why he's rejecting this. This is weakness. This is humility. And, or humiliation, even. And Peter wants somebody powerful to follow. Without the, uh, the unpleasant parts. Without the parts that show weakness. He wants the mountaintop that we saw from a few weeks ago, right? When, when Peter and some others go up on the mountain and Jesus is, is, is transformed into bright white and something really incredible is happening and, and these Old Testament powerhouse figures show up there and Peter says, let's stay there, right? Let's build some shelters and let's never come down from here. That's what Peter wants. And sometimes that's what we want too, if we're honest with ourselves. We spend, we spend a lot of time with Jesus, who is powerful. Jesus, who, who defeats our enemies. And, and Jesus, who can help us get ahead and help us get what we want. Turn on Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or any of the TV preachers, and, and that's what you'll see. Fun, powerful, get cool stuff, Jesus. We see plenty of that one. And we will celebrate that part. Powerful Jesus, getting... Get, uh, Vanquishing our enemies, Jesus, we'll celebrate that part at Easter. It's coming. But not yet. But that's because that's not the whole story. There's a side of it, this story of Jesus, that we don't like to think about as much. The suffering, and the humiliation, and the dying. We don't like to think about it because that's a weak leader. 
but also because that part of the story says something about me, too. It says something about me and, and each one of us. Because if, if, if a cross is necessary, if the suffering is necessary, then I am badly broken. If that extreme is necessary for me, then I'm pretty badly broken. And that doesn't feel too good. And we can see ourselves acting in this way, gravitating this direction. We can see it even if we're doing it unconsciously, right? When we, for example, uh, put a good face on, put a brave face on things, right? When we allow the wrong thing to continue unopposed, unacknowledged, we offer platitudes like everything happens for a reason to make a bad thing seem good. When we resort to run-of-the-mill advice-giving, when really what's needed is, is unique hope. We see ourselves doing this, walking away from the unpleasant side of the story, all because we would rather not confront the fact that sin is real, that the cross is necessary, that all of its undignified suffering is part of the plan. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that approach. Here's why powerful Jesus, victorious Jesus, isn't the whole story, and why there has to be another side of it. As Jesus says, right, this must happen. He began to tell his disciples that the, the Son of Man, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer these things. It must happen because if it doesn't, we're all in trouble. If Peter gets his way, we're all in trouble. The cross, right, the suffering, the humiliation, the weakness, the dying, have always been necessary, have always been part of the plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Don't go away. From the time even of the Exodus, right? When God's people are liberated from, from bondage and slavery and, and destruction. God kills the, the firstborn of the Egyptians, right? But he leaves the firstborn of the Israelites alone. And even then we can see a pattern developing. He leaves the firstborn of the Israelites alone and in return they're to, they're to sacrifice a lamb. That's the Passover celebration that we see in Exodus and that we see Jesus doing a little later that Jewish families still practice today. From desert times all the way through the kings and, and the prophets, there's rule after rule after rule about sacrificing uh, all sorts of sacrifices for all sorts of different reasons. And the pattern here that we can see developing through the Passover and through all the prophets and the kings is that when, when sin happens, when God's just, expect, just expectations are not upheld, a penalty is required. And that penalty is death. Paul puts it plainly in, in, in his letter to the Romans. He says the wages of sin is death, right? 
A penalty is required, that penalty is death. Life is required then, and that life is symbolized by blood. That's the pattern we see developing all through the Old Testament with the prophets and the sacrifices. Life is required, represented by blood. But there's another pattern that develops too. A pattern of substitution. Of something else being substituted for the death of the people who did the wrong, who actually broke the rules. Even now then, we're seeing a hint. A hint of God's loving, grace-filled uh, nature and his, his, his loving, grace-filled plan. Jesus at his last meal, he says, this is my blood. There's a reason that Jesus talks this way in his last meal. He says, this is my blood. And he says, this is the blood of a new covenant, a new relationship, a new promise. That's because all those old covenants with Abraham and, and Moses and, and David, those Israelites kept breaking them by breaking God's rules. So Jesus says, this is, this is a new one. This is a new one. It's my blood, my life, that's going to substitute for yours for all of time. And the writer of the Hebrews, chapter 10, you can read it on your own, he clarifies this for us. He says, in old times, priests did sacrifices day after day, stood before the altars every day, and they weren't worth that much. They kept having to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. But Jesus did it once for all. So the cross is necessary, then this sacrifice is necessary because it's, it's always been uh, part of the plan. Blood, life has always been required. But God wants to give his own in your place. The only one that will last forever. And that fact, that only one can last forever, points us to the, the second reason the cross was necessary. That mission of God that we talked about last week to renew and restore everything around us that, that's broken, it's a big project, isn't it? Because there's a lot of broken. Only a big, comprehensive solution can accomplish a big project like that. I lost my place. There it is. <laughs> Lesser solutions... Lesser solutions get lesser outcomes. Only a big comprehensive solution can make a big outcome like that. What Jesus, what Jesus calls us, or what Jesus calls rather gaining the world, but forfeiting souls, that's a lesser outcome. Here's what that means. Jesus could have done all the things Jesus did. He could have healed sick people and fed hungry people all day long. And that would have been impressive, and it would have been useful, and it would have been helpful to do those things and stop there. We too could do all those things. We can, we can uh, feed people who are hungry. We can house people who are homeless. And that would be impressive, and that would be useful, and that would be helpful. But Jesus wants more. He wants more. That deep, deep love that he has for you and for every other person around us for the one next to you, for the one in your home right now, uh, the neighbor next door to you, every co-worker that you have, or, or classmate if you're a student, even the ones who frustrate you, right? That deep love that he has for every single person, 
Jesus has the same love for them that he has for you. And because of that, he wants more for that person and for you. More for them than than just to feed your hunger or open your eyes, open the eyes of the blind. He wants you and he wants them to be counted among his promise. To take part in in this new kingdom that he's bringing in all of its facets and all of his aspects. He He wants them just as he wants you to have the hope of resurrection that you and I have. The confidence that something more is coming. To be able to know the love of a shepherd, a guide through challenging times, and to be able to, to give off some of the burdens and feel the relief of handing over some of those burdens that you no longer have to struggle or carry them alone. That's what Jesus wants for all these people around you, and ultimately what he wants is, is for them to be in his family forever. Anything short of that, however good or impressive or useful or even comfortable it might be, it isn't good enough. That's, that's what you and I are called to be a part of. Not to stop doing those other things. You, you can give good advice if you have it. You should help as you're able. And you can stand up for causes you believe in. Of course you should do that. Care for people who are in need. All that is good. All of it is worthwhile stuff. But it's also world-inheriting stuff. If we stop there, it's soul-forfeiting stuff. We're called to more, because Jesus wants to give more. But the good news is this. In that big, comprehensive, world-changing thing that Jesus calls us to, the good news is the hard part is already done. The hard part is done for us. The part about giving more than the world, Jesus Jesus does that part. He did it on the cross. That's the role the cross plays in all of this, and it's, it's to our advantage. It's our biggest advantage. Because God used it to work out the hardest part of his plan. The hardest part of what he's calling you to do, he did it himself. And that leaves you and me with the easy part. I like easy parts. All we have to do then is enjoy the people around us, really genuinely enjoy them, right? Um, Not this love my neighbor, don't like them stuff, uh, but actually enjoy the people around us. Get to know them, care for them genuinely, right? Learn to like them, if we don't. Then watch for where Jesus is working to bring some some of the same things that he brings you. Some of the same undeserved love and hope, and peace. Watching for opportunities where Jesus is doing that around us. All of those things that he won on the cross, all of it, all of it comes through that thing we don't like to mention. And it does the hard part for us. So that we don't have to. But, we also don't have to avoid it. We don't have to apologize for it. Or shy away from it, like Peter did. Instead, by the undignified suffering of Jesus on that cross, you and I are set free to be a part of what he wants to do. You're empowered and renewed by the Holy Spirit that comes to us through baptism, just as we'll see. Yeah, we could clap for that. It's a good thing. (laughs) And empowered and set free in that spirit, you and I are enabled to be a part of God's plan. The hard part done, the easy part for us.
In Jesus' name, amen. Take 30 seconds, if you would, and uh, reflect on that quietly. Uh, From what you've heard this morning, what's Jesus calling you to believe or do differently in your life this week?